Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very, very, very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I'm really excited uh, to introduce you to my guest today. You probably have heard of him already. Maybe you've read his books. He is a world-renowned personal development expert. Um, He was a star in the blockbuster movie, The Secret. He's the author, this I didn't know, of over 75 books, which is, you know, as an author, that is monumental, uh, epic, to say the least. Uh, It's been a challenge for me to write two books, so 75 books. Uh, I probably have some questions to ask him today about authoring books and his writing process, amongst many other things. Uh, He's the author of books such as The Attractor Factor, Life's Missing Instruction Manual, Attract Money Now, Zero Limits, um, and many more. We're about to find out. The amazing Dr. Joe Vitale. Welcome to Soul Talk. Are you kidding? I've been looking forward to this moment. Now the sun has risen again. Here we are. Great to see you and hear you. It's great to be back. Great to be back. And so, uh, you know, Listen, I, I, we're, we're in an interesting time on planet Earth. Um, I just want to jump right in and, and, and pick your brain so mm. that we can make the most of our time. A lot of people have been in fear, living in fear with this pandemic, living in fear with this, you know, we'll call it recession, these economic times, uh, feeling contracting into scarcity. I would love to hear your thoughts on during this time, uh, how can someone who is feeling locked in a paradigm of scarcity stay in abundance, live in abundance, and also um, create more wealth in life? Well, I love how you just got to go right for the throat. <laughs> <laughs> no, how do you do? What did you do today, 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 Joe? Just like. How do we survive in all of this chaos? <laughs> and thrive, right? Survive and thrive and prosper. So I don't blame you at all. I'm kidding you here. Yes. Yeah, it's been interesting times for sure. I think the old way of life is being burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. I think the old way of having consciousness and coming from manipulation, greed, um, victimhood, control, all of that is being replaced by a call, a push, a shove into a more loving, more empowered, more creative, more faithful, more connected to the universe way of being. Now, as I say all of that, I want to make sure everybody realizes I've been bounced around by circumstances as well as everybody else. Be, right before the pandemic started, I had uh, filed for a divorce, which backfired and ended up as a three-year persecution of my life and business. So that was pretty tough all by itself. And then my father died. Wow. Then my best friend died. Then a family member attempts suicide. Wow. Then, 
Yeah, it, it goes on. And then, of course, the pandemic comes around and everybody's affected differently. For me, my largest income from traveling, speaking on stages, everything is wiped out. It is gone. Mm-hmm. I had spoken in Russia, I'd spoken in Ukraine, spoken in Iran. And now all of a sudden I'm speaking online at home over Zoom and nowhere near getting paid what I used to when I was on the road. So Mm -hmm. I am tap dancing. I am trying to figure out what is going on. How do we adapt? Mm -hmm. People were talking about conspiracies early on. And I finally joined in and said, yeah, there is a conspiracy. And this ties into your question. I said, there's a divine conspiracy. There's a divine conspiracy. The divine itself, call it God, call it the universe, call it the cosmos, call it your higher power, call it whatever you want to call it. The divine is what I will call it, is behind all of it. The COVID sent us all to our room. We were given a global time out, in effect. And most of us were told to go inside and stay inside. Well, for me, I interpreted that from a divine perspective and said, that meant go inside yourself. Don't just go inside your room or your home or your apartment or your condo. It meant go inside yourself. It was a time to reflect, a time to reconnect, a a time to meditate, a time to create, a time to uh, learn, which all of which we can do in our little hubbles wherever we are. And thanks to the internet and Zoom and all the bells and whistles and tools and tricks and perks that we get from the online world, we're able to do a whole lot of things in our room. So I have seen this as a divine conspiracy. I have seen this as a blessing. I have seen people create things that have made massive wealth for them. I have seen myself have to do things differently and turn a profit in doing so. So the wealth is there, the thriving is there, the abundance is there, but we have to look a little bit differently at life the way it is right now to find out what's being asked of us. So that's my long-winded answer to say, hey, uh, you can survive, you can prosper, you can thrive, but you're going to have to reconnect on a spiritual level in order to make this work. How can people connect on that spiritual level, reconnect? What, What are some things that people can do to tap in? Yeah, I have... You were mentioning my books earlier, you know, and you said 75. I've actually written 85 books now. So while you were writing, you were reading the introduction, I wrote 10 more books. (laughs) And since the last time you and I spoke, I've written five more books, I think. And I have a movie coming out and I have my own online TV show. All of this is in the direction of how do we reconnect? And what I keep saying is that we have to go within, and this is deeper than our thoughts. This is deeper than contemplation. This is deeper than even meditation. Because with all the meditations and different tools and techniques and methodologies we have out there for going within, I think we have to go into the core. What I mean by that is we we have thoughts. All of us are thinking right now. People are wondering, who the hell is this guy? What is he talking about? And we have feelings. They're coming up because of things you and I are talking about right now and whatever's going on in people's worlds right now. So they have thinking and they have thoughts, and they're also in a physical body. But what I'm inviting them to do is to realize you're not your thoughts. You're behind them. You're witnessing. You're not your emotions. You're behind them. You're describing them. You're not your body. You're in inside it, experiencing it. 
And when we step to that invisible power point, which is behind thinking, behind the meditations, behind the contemplations, behind the emotions, behind or inside the physical body, there, there, we reconnect with God. We reconnect with the source. That's where we have to go. There's probably a thousand different ways to do it. For me, what I just narrated in that one or two minutes of an answer by saying, notice you have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. Notice you have emotions, but you're not your emotions. Notice you have a body, but you're not your body. You're inside of it. You can report on it. That takes you to that witness, to the observer, to the PowerPoint that's behind it all. From there, we can relax. From there, we can make requests of the universe. From there, we can create something brand new to bring to the material world. So we have to go within and, and bypass all the distractions in order to get to source. And so is it the process of sitting, sitting down? Is there a process? Are there certain questions we ask ourselves? I'm just just wanting to give some guidance for someone who like, like, how do I do it specifically, Joe? Right. Like, like do, do I sit down, close my eyes, ask some questions? What, 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 what exactly does it look like as an experience to do that? I would say that you want to go beyond the person who wants to know how. The person that wants to know how, and I'm speaking to everybody, I'm, I'm not saying there's a singled out person who wants to know how, I'm talking to all the people that are listening to this wonderful show. And everybody is sitting there with a question like what you just gave, some variation of it. It's like, okay, Dr. Joe, how do I do this? How, how, how? Tell me the specific. And I'm saying the part of you that is wanting to know how is an aspect of your personality that still wants to control. What I'm inviting you to do is go behind that voice, that personality persona, that part of your makeup, and know where the question's coming from. Because it's behind it that is source. It's underneath all of this bubbling of questions and skepticism or even criticism or curiosity that's wanting to know more that actually takes us away from the source itself. Questioning and that sort of Socratic method is still valuable. But in this moment, as I'm describing where we need to go with what I'm calling in quotes a divine conspiracy, we need to go underneath all of that. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was in Russia the first time, I was interviewed for a movie of some sort. And they were asking me about astrology. What did I think of astrology and the movement of the planets? And I said, I find it as entertaining and somewhat educational, but I think it's more powerful to go to the force that's actually moving the planets. I'm pausing for that to sink in because it's very similar to the part of our brain that says, Joe, how do I connect to source? The very question takes you away from source. If you can go underneath it, behind it, and kind of trace back to where it came from, you're starting to go in the direction of source. So what do we actually meditate on? So I'm going to give some sort of usable answer here to make sure everybody understands where I'm coming from. 
where you want to go is what is that witness that's behind the question? What is that witness that is behind the emotion? What is that witness that's inside my body reporting on whether I have a backache or a headache or I need to fidget a little bit or I need to eat? There is this background witness, and I know you know this from the spiritual traditions and the spiritual work you've done. I'm aiming everybody there because that background witness, that observer is intelligent and is actually the divine. When people tune in and they go, well, I don't really hear anything underneath my thoughts. I just kind of have thoughts. Yeah, but there's there's like a whiteboard or a chalkboard and those thoughts are appearing on it. It's a little bit like we've often heard in Buddhist circles. They'll talk about thoughts being like clouds going through the sky. What's the sky? The sky is the witness. The sky is the background. That's where I'm pointing people. I'm saying, yes, you have thoughts. I love thoughts. Thoughts are entertaining. And I have emotions. I love emotions. Emotions can make me high, make me low. That's fantastic. I have a body. Great. I can do so much in this body. But what's behind all of it? If I really want to get into a meditation, ask myself, okay, listen to your thoughts, but notice what's behind them. Look for the sky behind the thoughts. Notice my emotions, but look for the background, the, the theater, the tapestry. That's where the, the emotions are appearing on. And as I'm in this body, I have to realize this body's like a spacesuit, and I'm looking out of it through this two holes in the helmet called my head. But I'm inside of it. This is, this is the meditation, is to go beyond it all. So now we go, be, let's say we go beyond it all. Witness. Now what? What? What, <laughs> what happens? Like, 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 what happens now? Like for yeah. the person that's saying, "Okay, Joe, I get there," but I'm still broke. Okay, I get there, and then like, how 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 does that help me make money? How does that help me become <laughs> abundant? Yeah. yeah. No, so, that's that's a, a wonderful practical earth level question. I love it. I mean, we are spiritual beings in our physical bodies. We are here to experience life and we want to do it joyously and hopefully luxuriously. Why not? Mm. We can have that. So here's how I look at source. You can go to it in two ways. Mm. One, you go to it with a request. You can go there with a request. I need, um, I need a new product so I can make money online since I can't go out in COVID or whatever the, the question happens to be. You can go to source with an intention with a request, with a, we'll call it a prayer. You can go to source with a petition, with a prayer. You can also go to source to receive. That's actually my favorite thing, because when you go to source and you receive, you receive inspiration. So you go to source with an open heart, open hands, and open mind. You've gotten quiet. Maybe there was an intention in your mind. Maybe you were thinking that, yeah, I do want to make more money. I want my business to do well. I want an even bigger publishing deal, whatever it happens to be. I go to source and lay it at its feet. I kind of send it as a message, as an order into the universe. Here's what I would like to experience next. At the same time, you want to be quiet to receive. And being quiet literally means being quiet. 
this is where you are at that place of gratitude, expectation, silence. The, the monkey mind might still be rattling a little bit, but you've managed to get behind it. So you're kind of listening to the monkey's play, but knowing that you're waiting for something to come from the source, something to come to you in terms of inspiration. And that inspiration can be mind-blowing. It can be shocking. It can be it could be something expected and creative, and it could be something that you never thought of or anybody else thought of before. But here it comes from inspiration. So for me, the two ways to still be in the world and yet not of the world is to go in this meditative way to source with any request and with silence to receive some sort of answer or inspiration on what you can do next. I'm just reminded of this quote. Maybe it connects to what you're saying. Like um, it's a biblical quote: uh, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and yes. and, and everything will be added unto you." And, that is, and, that's it. That yeah. is absolutely it. And you know, throughout most of my life, I had heard that quote, but I never understood it. Mm. It never made sense to me because I was always thinking of a kingdom, like some sort of majestic earth level kingdom, but the kingdom that. I understand it to mean today is this kingdom of unlimited possibility. Mm. It's the kingdom that comes from source. Source doesn't have any limitations. Mm. We are the ones who create limitations and live from limitations, which is why when you mention money and so forth, I love talking about money. I mean, I had been homeless. I had been in poverty. And today I... <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty much living the lifestyle of the rich and famous and greatly enjoying it. But it's coming from dissolving the barriers and the limitations which were in me they weren't in source mm. they're not in the universe they're in me in one of my books i think it's the book called money love speed i say that source the universe has no beliefs about you it has no beliefs about money you have beliefs about yourself you have beliefs about money one of my favorite teachers uh, was Arnold Patton, oh, and yes. Arnold Patton, a brilliant man, very wise man, he said, we don't create abundance, we create limitations. Mm. Abundance is already there. We're the ones that put up the barriers and the beliefs and the mm. limitations and the the uh, the things that prevent it from coming to us. And just that very statement, we're not the ones creating abundance. We're the ones creating limitations gives us a clue that, oh, the work that we need to do is inside ourselves. Once we clean that up, then it's like we can go to source and we can receive the bounty of the universe. Someone that might, might, might have just a, a kind of side question, you know, in the spiritual, let's say they're a spiritual person, but they maybe have this, this, you know, th this belief, this dichotomy of like money and spirituality, they don't go together. Um, <laughs> right. How can they begin to sort of let that, that, that split, that, that misconception go? Yeah, and they because, because you know you go. go to India, you talk about source, talk about dissolving, you talk about you know enlightening, liberation. You see yogis with like robes and meditating in the Himalayas or meditating in an ashram, and you know they don't seem to have that much material abundance in the physical world or money mm -hmm. or you know, and and sometimes there's a pride even in like 
non non attachment to, yeah. to to things. And so, for for someone that's struggling, like they just can't get the two to merge. You know, I look at you, and it's it's really beautiful to start the conversation, Joe, with this conversation about source, not just mm-hmm. about okay, here's how you make gazillions of dollars. It's like no, no, go to source, seek the kingdom within you first <laughs> right. and foremost. Seek source, the source of unlimited, you know, infinite yes. potentiality. Like that, like to hear you say that, I think is so so powerful, mm-hmm. and, and and yet that many times we have the split. Oh, it's not just many times. It's almost all the time. And it's almost every person in every country. I can't believe I've gone to countries that I didn't expect would have that sort of split in belief. And there it was. You really said it when you said there's almost a pride in not having a lot. And Mm -hmm. that's really a clue. It's spiritual Mm -hmm. snobbery and it's a spiritual ego. The worst ego of all is the spiritual ego because it plays like it's right from a divine perspective and everybody else is wrong, which is a very, you know, if you look really look at spirituality, even judging people as right or wrong is not spiritual. Mm. That is not what spirituality is all about. So anybody coming from that place is already not announcing it verbally, but announcing it by how they behave that they're not Mm. spiritual. So here's what I discovered. And I wrote a book called The Awakened Millionaire. And The Awakened Millionaire was the idea that money and spirituality were two sides of the same coin. They're not different at all. And in fact, there's not a thing wrong with money. Money is just paper and ink. It's coin. It's metal. It actually means nothing until we project meaning onto it. The number one problem that people have with money, and this is again goes to the various stages and various countries I've been in, and I saw it everywhere, is the belief, and I'll start the belief right now, and everybody listening will finish it. <laughs> money is the root of all. Evil. Everybody just yeah. said evil. Money is the root of all evil. So now imagine somebody is saying, well, I, I need money because I want to pay my bills or I need money because I want to do something for a great cause I believe in. And they have great intentions for money, but they're going to struggle with money because unconsciously, subconsciously, they don't want something evil in their lives. This is why so many people, myself included in the early days, would struggle with money. When a bill would come, I get just enough money to pay it at the last minute. Then I would pay it and I'd be broke again and go through the same cycle. Why? Why does that keep happening? It's because we don't want evil. We need the money in order to live on planet Earth and take care of ourselves and our family and feed ourselves and pay a mortgage and telephone bill and Internet and this, that and the other. And yet at the same time, if we subconsciously think it's evil, we don't want it very long. And so when you wait till the last minute, allow the money to come in and then get it the hell out of our lives. And then we're broke again and start the cycle again until we break free. So how do we break free? This is where I want to help people. So I'm on a roll. So you, you can leave let's and go keep, get a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> how do we break free? That's the, yeah, that's the big question. How do we break free? So the the belief is only a partial statement. The the love of money is the root of all evil is the longer statement. And it's slightly better. It comes from biblical literature. And like I like to point out to people, that is so old, we don't even actually know what was originally said, let alone written, and then paraphrased, deciphered, reinterpreted, and it lands in our laps. And we all think, well, money's just evil. Well, we don't know that. 
We don't know what was said. So the love of money is the root of all evil is the longer statement. All right, let's run with that, the love of money. What I have found that the wealthy people, including myself, are not in love with money. I don't love money. We appreciate it. We're grateful for it. We leverage it. We use it. It's a scorecard. It's a way of getting things done, but we're not in love with it. And as soon as you get that mental shift that you don't need to love money and it's not about loving money, it's about being grateful for money and using money and directing money where it wants to go. Now you're free. Now you can have money. Now you can use it for all the good things you want to use it for, like feeding yourself and your family and directing it, being a steward for money and directing it to causes you believe in. Going back to Arnold Patton, he had this quote that I just so love, and I wish I had come up with it, but it was from him. He said, the sole purpose of money is to express appreciation. Wow. The sole purpose of money is to express appreciation. When I first heard it, I thought, well, there's got to be an exception to that. <laughs> and I started thinking, well, wait a minute. When I pay the phone bill, I'm grateful to have a phone. When I pay the car payment, grateful to have a car. When I pay for a mortgage, I'm grateful to have a house. When I pay for groceries, I'm grateful to have food. And I started to realize, holy smokes, we had it all wrong. Mm. When I didn't have money and I had to write a check or give money out for something, I grumbled. I complained. It's like, man, I wish I didn't have to do this instead of realizing, wait a minute, I must be using it for something I needed or something I wanted. And when you move into the sole purpose of money is to express appreciation, again, you are transformed. I think money is one of the most spiritual tools available to us. Mm. This is one reason why Mother Teresa had no problem with money. She raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. Any of the spiritual teachers you can name, whether it's the Pope or you can go into different ministries and so forth, they got no problem with raising money. <laughs> Partly because. Osho. <laughs> and Osho, yes, I was with Osho. I, I know who Rajneesh was. I mean, yeah. I have my own stories about that. He had no problem with money. In fact, he was a very wealthy man. And I remember one time he said he had all these cars. He had all these properties. He had this commune. He was building his whole city. He was bringing the new man into spiritual awakening on earth. And yet he had no pockets, no wallet, he had nothing, no credit cards. And it was showing that you can be spiritually awakened and a lot of what you need will flow to you and through you for your own use. Mm. So my book called, this was several years ago that it came out, was called The Awakened Millionaire. You're awakening to the spirituality of money. You're awakening to the reality that if you really care about people or pockets of the universe that need help, you make peace with money, and as it comes into you, direct it where you want it to go. All of this will enable us to allow money to come into our lives so we can, we can enjoy it. We can be at peace with it. Money and spirituality, the material and spiritual, they're actually two sides of the very same coin. Beautiful. Was there a moment when, you know, you said you were homeless and... Was there a moment when the light bulb went off? Was there, was, was there a light bulb moment? Was there like <clears throat> one moment where something clicked and just 
you, you actually saw things just start turning. Was there like an inside uh, epiphany? I'm just, I'm really curious. It's a great question. And I get asked variations of it from time to time. The truth of the matter is there's been lots of light bulb moments and I'm still having them occur. They're mm. like mini satories that take place. The question most people ask, it is probably stemming from what you're interested in, is when I was homeless, what was the turning point? What was the wake up? What was the light bulb during that moment, during that time? Because that was pretty pitiful times. Well, first of all, the bad news was I was homeless in Dallas, Texas. The good news was I stayed in the public library. I'm a book freak. To be able to be in the public library, they had a bathroom, they had air conditioning, they had water, and they had books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, in some ways, it was heaven. And I'm reading all the self-development, the philosophy, metaphysics, and all these books, the classics of literature, some forgotten and some have stood the test of time, all pointed to me. You're homeless because of you, Joe. And I was like, oh, that was crushing, crushing to realize that and look in the mirror in the bathroom of the Dallas Public Library going, why, 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 why would I do that to myself? Mm. How would I make these decisions that would put me in the street? I mean, no car, no family, no job, no money. I mean, what? And the big wake up call for me was I knew I wanted to be an author. I had decided as a young kid, I wanted to write things that help people. At that point, I had said that I wanted to write material that would make people laugh, that would make them happy because I perceived them as unhappy. It would, largely, it was me that was unhappy. And I remember wanting to write. And the authors I admired, like Jack London and Ernest Hemingway, were self-destructive, miserable alcoholics who both ended as suicides. Mm. And a part of my mind thought, I have to have a dramatic, unhappy life, at least in the beginning, in order to earn my right to be a creative writer. And that is a belief that a lot of creative people have out there, a variation of it, maybe not as extreme, but they all believe I have to suffer to be creative. I have to suffer my, for my art kind of a thing. And when I realized that I was modeling my life after Jack London and Ernest Hemingway, I had the aha and thought, wait a minute, there's bound to be authors who are prolific, who are bestsellers, who are mm. profitable, who are not self-destructive, who are not hurting themselves or others, who are healthy and happy and well-adjusted. And when I looked around and found them and started to model them, life began to be easier. But as I say, there's light bulb moments all the time because I'm still working on me. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still stretching. And this whole pandemic thing that you opened our conversation about, it's caused me to go within and even a deeper, stronger, more connected way than ever before. So the, the personal growth and the expansion of consciousness and ability, that's, that's still going on right now. Is, is there, are there any, um, I was going to ask something else, but are there, are there any recent like, light bulb moments that went off recently there was a boom like whoa joe like back, like was it was there a moment in the yeah, last just few weeks well, a few days few months how about yesterday yesterday <laughs> how about yesterday so i already mentioned i read a lot of books i was reading whole brain living by jill bolt taylor she's the yes, woman who yes. had a stroke yeah i had her on the and, podcast she was great 
Oh, good, good, good. Well, I, I don't know if you had it for this book, The Whole Brain Living, but she mapped out the four characters of the brain. And she said, most of us, you know, we've heard about the left and right brain, left kind of logical, right kind of symbolic. But she turned them in the four characters and she had a left brain thinker and a left brain emotional part, a right brain thinker, a right brain emotional part. She, in her book, was finding the limits of science and she was finding the evidence for spirituality. And as I was reading it, first of all, I got to feel the different characters in my own brain. And I started to feel like the, the the playful, emotional, right brain part of my brain wasn't really being activated very often. And I think part of it has been because of deaths in the family, deaths of people I've known, even most recently some deaths. And the pandemic, I think I kind of shut it down. It was kind of a protective measure not to feel 100%. So as I'm reading her book and I'm starting to awaken these characters in my brain, those light bulbs were lighting up in my head. It was like lights were going on in four different areas of my brain. But it didn't stop there because that was an aha all by itself. It's like, oh, I didn't even realize there's these four parts and four characters. But then I realized even though there's four characters, and, and she didn't really talk about this in the book. When I get a chance to interview her for my TV show, I'm going I'm to hit her with this. She's talking about the four aspects of the brain, but she didn't really describe who is listening to the four aspects. So you have four characters, as I loosely described, but you're the one kind of overseeing them, and you're the one that can bring all four into a huddle. You're the one that can listen to one or two or all three or all four. But who's the you that's doing that? I believe this is my light bulb moment from reading the book and going through all of this journey in speculation. That you that's paying attention to all four characters is the witness I was just describing to you earlier. Yes. That's the observer. That's the part that's kind of got the overview mm -hmm. of the brain, which also there's so many signals and messages and symbols. Also, it means you're not your brain. Mm. If you're the one observing your brain and these four characters in your brain and picking and choosing who you're going to listen to in your brain, then you are not your freaking brain. Mm, mm. And so, again, this is pointing to the spirituality of who we are. And I think part of the awakening that we're going through on a planetary level. I really do feel like the old ways of consciousness and a lot of people that have maintained the old ways of consciousness are, are being burned to the ground. They're being removed. It is shifting. The planet is shifting. We've had floods. Texas, where I'm at, is in a drought. Up north in America, they're going through floods. I mean, you go through different areas and you find that they're going through different experiences than they either have never gone through or haven't gone through in 100 or more years. And then we can look at the personalities out there and the groups of people who are fighting and maintaining old ways of being and losing ground on it. I think, and again, it's another light bulb moment, that we are we're coming conscious of our own unlimited being. Mm. Becoming conscious of our own unlimited being. 
Yes, we've been unconscious to our own power. You know, I, I wrote a book called Zero Limits, but it's ended up becoming my brand. I have a movie that'll be coming out called Zero Limits. My TV show is called Zero Limits Living. And everything I'm, and I have a book that'll be coming out, obviously called Zero Limits Living. Everything that I'm doing is in the direction of, do we have any limits? So do, like, do, do we have limits? As in like, what do you mean by Zero Limits? Like, can yeah. we fly? Can, can, can anyone become... This you know, is a, 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 a billion, right? like, ah, I want to like be Elon Musk and anyone, yeah. can yeah. anyone be what? Elon Musk or are there certain people with karmic destinies or tendencies, you know? See here with that, I love your questions. This is one of the most in-depth exploratory mm -hmm. interviews I've ever done. And I love this because you go right for the meat. You're very sincere and you're coming from your heart and you really want to know. I ask every one of my guests, do mm. we have limits? Yes. The show is called Zero Limits Living. I asked every mm. one of my guests. Most of them say we have a physical limit. Like we can't, we can't fly, somebody might say, or I can't mm. grow taller, somebody might say. Only one person said the only limit we have is our imagination. Mm. If you can imagine it, you can go ahead and find some way to create it. And I think of Napoleon Hill, who I love so much, and his one famous quote, if you can conceive it and you can believe it, then you can achieve it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sums it up. So if you can conceive being taller and you can believe it, most of us will stop there because we'll say, well, I can conceive being taller, but I can't <laughs> believe being taller. And then, well, you're not going to achieve it. But if you can conceive it and you can believe it, then you can achieve it. And to give credit to Napoleon Hill, he didn't say you will achieve it. He said you can achieve it. He left it as an opening, as a possibility. To answer your question, like, can we fly? Can we do all of these things? Can we be must? I think, why not? The only reason why not is that we're going to come from what we believe is possible. I'm coming from the stance that we live in a belief-driven universe. You change your beliefs, you get a different universe. At some point, there may be a way to fly without the plane or whatever we're using right now to get off the ground. I don't see that there's any way that we can create firm beliefs in this magical universe that we actually live in. Let me tell you a very quick story. When I went to Thailand a couple of years ago, I met a man. He was 35 years old at the time. And he met me at the airport. He brought me over there to do a seminar. It was the very first seminar he ever did. He was 35 years old, very young, charismatic, athletic. He hugs me, welcomes me, and he says, I changed his life. I never saw this guy before. And he said, I changed his life because 15 years earlier, he was homeless. He was homeless on the beaches of Thailand at oh, the age of, of 20. Guy. He yes. wasn't the Thai guy, but he went yes. into real estate. The guy who went That's into real exactly estate. That's exactly right. Yeah, his name yeah, is yeah. Andres Pira, and yep. his book is called Homeless to Billionaire, Great which book. I helped him with. Great but book. the very short story that he told me when he was 20, he was homeless on the beaches of Thailand, called a friend back home for help. The friend didn't send him any money. He sent him a book. He sent him The Secret based on the movie. And my Thailand friend was mad because he's, he's starving. He doesn't want a book. He needs money. He needs food. But he looked at the book and he says, you know, this book is crap. I'm going to prove it wrong. And I love the setup. I'm going to prove it wrong. So he says, well, they say I can manifest anything. Let me try a cup of coffee. Somebody buys him a cup of coffee. And he thinks, well, that's a fluke. Let me try lunch. 
eh, somebody buys them lunch. He says, well, maybe there's something to this. Let me try a, um, a small job. Somebody gives him a small job. Long story short, 15 years later, he is a billionaire, a billionaire. When I met him, he was 35, a billionaire, had 20 other businesses, the main one being the real estate that you remembered. And I helped him write his book, Homeless to Billionaire. Point being, I feel that we can become millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires, whatever it is that you want to be. But you probably have to keep working towards it. When my friend in Thailand, Andres, was on the beach, if he had said to himself, I'm going to be a billionaire, no part of him would have believed it. No part of him. Zero. He would have no chance because he was homeless. Wow. But by going for, let me try a cup of coffee, he built his belief muscle. Let me get a lunch. Let me get a part-time job. Let me get an apartment. He kept expanding possibilities until when I met him, and I spent quite a bit of time with him, and he also put me up at a resort. I mean, he really wined and dined me, and I got to know him. Mm. And he showed me pictures of his projects. They were jaw-dropping, humongous undertakings of construction to build these glorious resorts. This is the same guy who was homeless. Wow. Not that long ago. (laughs) Not that long ago. So can we fly? Can we become billionaires? Can we have more? Yes. We probably have to work our way towards it, meaning that we keep growing and expanding, Mm. most of which in believability, but it's possible. Mm. I have a tough question for you. Oh, right. I, I, I hope <laughs> you'll be okay with me asking. Oh, I, I, think, I think it's important, you know, that, that, that uh, for the listeners too. Yeah. You started off the conversation, we talk about zero limits. Yeah. You started off the conversation talking about how challenging it was for you, which was really, you know, mm. vulnerable and honest. You know, the mm-hmm. divorce, uh, you said it felt like a persecution, yep. challenges, you know, didn't sound like a great time. So, so the question becomes <laughs> then, okay, Joe, well, why did, why did you manifest that? Why, why did that happen to you? Like, like you talk about, you can be a billionaire, but you're getting a divorce. You're going through this challenging time. Like why, if you could yeah. manifest anything, why would, why would you as the guru manifest that? And, and, and <laughs> forgive me, I'm not, you know, going to offend you. I'm just no. really asking the real human question for people because I, I want the conversation to be real and raw. And well, so first of all, your, your conversations are real and raw. You're one yeah. of the very rare people out there is not superficial at all. We don't talk about, Hey Joe, what was your latest book? And let's right. just talk on top level, <laughs> superficial things. You go for the core and I love it. You've actually Beautiful. juiced me up. So I'm not offended at all because all the questions you've asked were questions I asked myself. As you can imagine, when I filed for divorce, and I thought it would be easy because I was basically saying, you can have everything. I'm just going to walk away. I I need to start over. Uh, But she didn't accept that. (laughs) She had her own... um, their own retaliation, so to speak. And as this stretched on, I would say, how is this possible? Why is this happening? How am I, as you even said, as the self-help teacher, as the self-help guru, as the guy in the movie, The Secret, talking about the law of attraction, how does he attract all of this? And so I, I went through sleepless nights. I went through deep struggles. I went through the internal turmoil of trying to survive this. 
uh, understand this and stop this. And, and as I pointed out, it lasted almost three years, two and a half to three years. Ultimately, I saw it that I created it for my own punishment. Punishment. Yep. I was brought up Catholic, and it took me most of my life to get over it. But the way Catholics were brought up is that you don't get divorced. It was considered, at least when I was growing up in the, the 1950s, that that was a sin, that was a crime against the church or a crime against religion. I don't even remember because it was in my subconscious mind. Mm. And so for me to file for divorce and so forth, I was com committing a sin. I was committing something that demanded punishment. Well, COVID came around. I couldn't even go to church if I wanted to, because as I remember, they were all closed during that beginning times. But I do remember thinking, this is my own flogging. This is happening because a part of me feels I need to be punished. This is very similar. And as I tell this story, I want, really, I want people to really reflect on what part of them is doing whatever they're going through right now. Yeah. Because we all have something we're going through that is self-created, maybe self-inflicted. And we want to awaken to, okay, why would we be doing that so we can awaken to stopping it? Mm -hmm. This is similar to when I told you that I was homeless when I finally figured out, oh, I'm struggling and homeless and suffering and starving because I thought that was what I needed to do. Jack London did that. Ernest Hemingway did that. So why shouldn't Joe Vitale do that? That's why I was doing it. I was struggling, self-inflicted, self-created way. The same thing with the divorce. It took me forever to make peace with it. And believe me, I went to healers. I went to counselors. I went to tappers. I went to acupuncture. I went to therapists. I went to everything you can think of, even trying seeing a priest <laughs> um, because I thought, well, if this was in my head from early upbringing, maybe it can get out of my head from going to them now. But I couldn't even do that because at that time it was COVID mm -hmm. and everything was being pushed online. So to answer your question, I, I believe that that was self-created as a kind of a self-punishment. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, that's, that's very real. That's very honest in terms of, so maybe even on some level, no matter what we're going through, you could say, the law of attraction still at work, just subconsciously yes. Yes. attracting to us experiences yes. of our most deeply held beliefs. Oh, yes. it's the, thank you for saying that. The law of attraction does not have exceptions. The law of attraction mm. is not just pulling good things to you. Mm. The law of attraction is pulling so-called, and I'm saying so-called bad things because you can reinterpret the bad things to be good. Mm. And, and let's look at that for a second here, because one of the things I turned to, and this was one of the gifts that came from the divorce and the pandemic, is I turned to stoicism. And I learned about stoicism. And I'm not talking about being stoic, which is a different uh, definition than being from the ancient school of stoicism. Being stoic today talks about just shoveling your emotions down in the, the yes. basement and not feeling them. But the stoicism from Marcus Aurelius's time and Seneca's time and Epictetus's time and Epicurus's time was not about that at all. They were all about feeling your emotions, but not being swayed away like anger. Mm -hmm was an emotion that if you gave yourself into it, you can be crucified, you can be killed, you can have some things happen that you can never take back. Mm -hmm. And the ancient Stoicism was, was mentioning all that. Mm 
And I was getting a lot from Marcus Aurelius and especially Seneca. I have this quote that I liked it so much, I actually printed it on this card mm-hmm. in front of me. And he says, you have the power to make things seem easy or hard or difficult. It's all your choice. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm in this divorce. It's obviously difficult. But he says, I have the, the power to make it easy. Mm. He also said you had the power to make it amusing. And the word I couldn't see there because I didn't have my glasses on, but he said you have the power to make it seem easy seem. or hard or amusing. The word seem implied a lot because to me, it, it really reflected on, okay, the divorce is a very real thing happening. Grief is a very real thing happening when my dad and best friend died. A pandemic is a very real thing happening. But he said, Seneca said, you can make it seem other than what it is. Mm. So there is something going on here, but could you find a way to make it look easy? And then the big stretch is, could you make it, can you find a way to make it look amusing? Now mm. we know if you channeled Kevin Hart or yeah. Mark Twain or whoever famous comedian was living or dead, they'd have a view of it yes. that would lighten it. And so when I start looking at all that, I think, oh, the stoicism actually gave me the gift of perception, the gift of choice to, to look at a divorce and go, okay, the law of attraction is obviously working all the time. You can attract good things as well as bad, but you can also reframe the bad so it's suddenly now good. This gets really deep, but it really gives us power. Yeah, It really yeah. gives us the ability to create a life that we're proud of and we can be happy in no matter what. Yeah, and, I th- and, I, and, and just hearing you talk, I think that in quotation marks, bad, yes. uh, the divorce, the, the challenges, whatever experience we're going through, it, it, it exposes those beliefs. So part of that gift I can see too is it, 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 yes, it, yes, it sheds yes. light on the belief so, yes. so, so that it acts as the mirror so that we can let, let yes. clear ourselves. And absolutely. as a result, then magnetize and attract that next level. Yes, absolutely. But there's also things to learn that are very natural that most of us try to dismiss. Like I had mentioned a couple of times, my father died and, um, and uh, best friend died and so forth. It's important to realize that those, those are real, those are human, and those are natural experiences. Mm-hmm. And grief is natural. Mm-hmm. going through grief, expressing grief, try, or crying and all of this, this is a very natural experience. If it goes on forever, then we might want to look at what are the beliefs that are causing us to suffer longer than whatever might be considered acceptable. Mm-hmm. But I, I think too many of us, and maybe this is the big mistake with The Secret and The Law of Attraction, yes. is too many of us watch the movie The Secret, read Law of Attraction books, even my books, and they figure, well, I'll never have a bad day again. I got it all figured mm. out. I'm going to attract mm. everything I want. I'm going to be happy all the time. I'm going to have a pet unicorn and you know, uh-huh. <laughs> whatever people come up with. And they miss what stoicism taught me is that there's going to be a pandemic. There was a pandemic 100 yes. years ago. There was a pandemic during Marcus Aurelius's yeah. reign as emperor. They would actually, mm. the Stoics would look at us and go, we told you so, you know? And so we, we start to think that we have it made. It's never going to rain again. And the reality is there will be rain again. There will be dark days again. There will be a death. There will be illness. The, all of it is going to come and go. 
And if we have the balance of that realization, then we're not floored or cratered when something doesn't go the way we want. When we start to manifest something and we focus on, oh, I have a vision board and I'm going to get this person or I'm going to get this house. And the very first day things don't go well, they reach up and they tear up the vision board. Mm. But if they realize, wait a minute, I was told there'd be bumps in the road. Mm. I was told that this might take longer than what I expected. If I'm in for the long haul, then I'll be fine and I will attract what I want. Mm. So it's having that balance of, I don't know, the, the vision and the reality of life, having the balance and then realizing you can reframe it with your perception to be all mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's also what I love from what you're saying about the grief is when we allow ourselves to acknowledge that, to feel that we're not doing sort of like a, a spiritual bypass, you know, yes. and like law of attraction, right. yeah. only being high vibration, suppress this. But what we don't realize is when we suppress that, the grief, yeah. It is it's inside of us, and then likely we attract situations that yeah. vibrate at the level of the unfelt emotion. And yes. So I'm really glad you're, you're you're talking about the grief. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. What what excites you now as you as you we're coming out of the pandemic? What, what excites you? And because I know there's a lot of folks that are still feeling um, a little challenged. You know, mm-hmm. maybe still in fear. Talk of the recession you know, uh, challenges globally. What excites you and where do you see opportunities for people? Well, first of all, opportunities are everywhere. Some of the greatest empires have always been built during things like the Great Depression, recessions that we went through in America, uh, times of struggle, illuminate needs that people have for products, Mm. services, solutions. And if you're alert enough and you're listening, you can go, well, maybe I can resolve that. And you can be the one to come out with a new product, a new service. Early on in the pandemic, when we started to be told to wear masks, one of the things I semi-jokingly said at the time was, well, a good entrepreneur would realize that they can make designer masks and start putting sayings on the mask. And you can start making colorful masks and you can go into business making masks. And ultimately, a lot of people did. And when I was studying stoicism during that time, I had a mask that said, read more Seneca, (laughs) read more Seneca. (laughs) And so I was having fun, but I was pointing out that there's always these opportunities that we have to open our eyes and, and see, and then, of course, act on. And what am I excited about? I've got four or five new books out. I have three books that I want to get out. I have a movie, Zero Limits, is going to be a movie coming out later in the year. My TV show, every Friday, I'm bringing inspiration and information to the world. It's now seen or heard on 1,000 different platforms, including Roku and Amazon and Apple and YouTube. I'm putting all the shows at ZeroLimitsLivingTV.com, ZeroLimitsLivingTV.com. And and probably like you, when you interview these different guests, I learn a tremendous amount because I ask questions just like you do that are on my mind, that are in my heart, that I really want to know answers to. And I kind of have the expert cornered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're on my show and it's like answer or get off. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm excited about that. Zero Limits Living, the movie, the books, and and also the unknown. You know, we're at this mm-hmm. point where I don't know how this is playing out. I don't, uh, 
and ultimately we never know. We always have these illusions that we think we know, but we ultimately never know. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious, and and I like curiosity. Beautiful. Um, I, I feel like I have to ask this question as as an author to an author before <laughs> All right. before the final question is is eighty books. Yeah. So that's 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 monstrous. That's like <laughs> you know, for me to write two books, it's 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 tough. And so I'm really curious about like how do you create? How do you come up with these ideas? How how do you write? What is that process? Well, it's a big question. Probably would need another show to answer yeah. all of it. Yeah. But the easy answer is my first book was 1984. And it took another 10 years before my next book came out. And then after that, I became pretty much the book of the month club. I was you know, <laughs> authoring something on a regular basis. The big secret for me is I learned to turn off the critical editorial part of my brain while I was writing. I taught writing classes in Houston decades, many decades ago. And one of the things I always helped people with, because if they got this, they were able to write. And, and virtually all of them went on to write books. And it was the idea that most of us, when we sit down to write, are editing as we write. Yes, yes. And if yes. we edit as we write, we're going to hate the process. It's going to be a slow, sluggish, torturous process because we're going to write down. Uh, it was a mid-June day when I did blah, blah, blah. Then you'll go, well, wait a minute. I don't think it was mid-June. Oh, it was <laughs> August. And it was raining that day. You didn't even write one sentence and you're already questioning everything. I have learned to just do the brain dump. When you start writing the first draft, just write the first draft. Yeah. Right, wrong, and different. Because you tell yourself, you can edit it later. Mm. You separate. That's the number one key thing. The writing and the editing are two separate processes. You do them at two different times. And if need be, you can always hire an editor. They're all over the place. That would be the, the big thing. The other thing for me is I write what I'm excited about. When there's no evidence that's got to sell, anybody's got to read it. I don't really care because it's important to me. And it's like, I have to get this written. I got to put it in paper. I, I wrote a book on P.T. Barnum way back in 1998, The Circus Giant. It was called There's a Customer Born Every Minute. And a lot of the business people who find it, they love it. Russell Brunson, who's a hot shot on yeah, the Internet yeah. marketing circle, he bought 600 copies of that book to give to everybody in his top, wow. top earners program. And so I've written books like that that I thought I was writing it for me, but it would connect with somebody. Uh, my book, The Attractor Factor, I wrote it because I was actually trying to share information about how to create your reality with my sister mm. who had been on welfare and everything. And The Attractor Factor was the book that caused me to be introduced and invited to be in the movie The Secret. So you, you don't know when you're writing these things. But for me, I'm not writing it to please any particular public or to make any money. It's like my heart says do this. And I've learned to separate the editing from the writing so I can do it pretty quickly. What's your what's your favorite book or let me ask you this way, like for someone who is newer to your work, what do you feel your most powerful book that they should start off reading? Yeah, books? great question. Well, I would imagine your audience is in the self-help and spiritual yeah, self -help area. The, the so most I would, powerful book that this is your, your like, this is the one. Well, I know, you have, I know you have 80 to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough thing to answer. I'll tell you the book that has caused pretty much a movement yeah. is zero limits. Mm. 
my book, Zero Limits, which introduced the world to, um, uh, to Ho'oponopono, a Hawaiian healing modality that has truly triggered miracles for people. And of course, Zero Limits became a brand for me with Zero Limits, the movie, Zero Limits Living, the TV show. But the book, Zero Limits, people read that and boy, they have an awakening. And I will also tell you that it is maybe the only book out of 80 some books I've written that I've ever reread myself. Wow. That's because I felt like I channeled it, like it just kind of downloaded and I was a stenographer. So when I reread it, it feels like I didn't really write it. <laughs> Zero Lim- okay. For Zero, Zero Limits. Limits. Zero Limits. Check out yeah. Zero Limits by Dr. Joe Vitale. Dr. Joe, what's the best? Uh, I, I've loved this conversation so Me much. Me too. Thank you for just Me being too. so so raw, real, authentic, generous, and sharing your wisdom. What's the best website people can connect with you, find out about your work, and anything you have going on? God, I don't know. I have hundreds of websites. I would say the TV show, ZeroLimitsLivingTV.com, would be a good place to start. I post on Instagram and Facebook every day, sometimes two or three times a day, all new content, all new videos. Basically started doing it during the pandemic to kind of give me an up. By helping other people, it was helping me. So I kind of started it and have grown to love it. I'm uh, Dr. Joe Vitale on Instagram and on Facebook, Dr. Joe Vitale, V-I-T-A-L-E. I have lots of books. New books include Karmic Marketing, your Unlimited Self, The Abundance Paradigm, Hypnotic Selling Secrets. They're all on Amazon. So uh, there you go. Poke around and have fun. Awesome. Folks, we're going to post uh, all of uh, Dr. Joe's links in the show notes. So check out his work. Check out the book Zero Limits um, and Awaken Millionaire. Amazing book as well. Um, Awesome. Is there a homework assignment as we wrap up that you can just a one minute practical thing that people could immediately just apply to activate a miracle in their life, something that they could do immediately to integrate this conversation? Can you assign a homework? I gave a talk in Houston, Texas, probably way back in the early 1990s. And I always was impressed that it came from inspiration because I didn't really think of this. And it was basically the idea, who would you be and what would you do if you thought like God? Yeah, it has stuck with me since the 90s because it takes away our personal limitations. If you really thought, well, if God wanted to be a billionaire or God wanted to open a restaurant on Mars, God would do it. You, I, you wouldn't have limitations if you were role-playing God. So what would you do? What would you be? How would you think if you thought like God? Oh, that just opened up the, 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 the multidimensional <laughs> right. space for sure. We, we just melted all limits. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Folks, you heard the homework assignment from Dr. Joe Vitale. Uh, it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you again. Uh, everyone, share this interview with Dr. Joe Vitale, with everyone in your life, anyone that you feel would benefit, anyone that you love. Share it on social media. Uh, also, check out Dr. Joe Vitale's work, all the links in the show notes. Send me an email, Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's amazing episode and uh, look forward to connecting in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Love now. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.